All right, welcome to another exciting episode of the Georgia Podcast, uh, powered by the Pro Business Channel Studios here in our Buckhead studio. And uh, we've got an interesting guest here. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We've got about uh, 10 pages of paperwork to get through. So, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, uh-oh. <laughs> That's the voice of Charles Simpson. Uh, he leads um, Actuate. It's an exploration and evolution consultancy. So we're going to find out what all that means. Yeah. Nothing to do with creationism, I promise. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and uh, so some of the points we're going to hit on, we're going to talk about uh, companies, individuals, uh, where research comes in to making those big decisions about strategy, innovation, and uh, product offerings. We may talk about his past life as a uh, runner. What was it? You were an avid runner? Yes. But now more focusing on the fly fisherman, right? Right, right. <laughs> you don't fly, want to do both. Fly fishing is much easier on my knees these yeah, days. I concur. So stay tuned for that. More on this episode of the Georgia Podcast. Welcome to the Georgia Podcast, featuring the who's who and what's new in Georgia. Made possible in part by Global Podcast Studios, offering podcast studio rentals, production and distribution, Visit globalpodcaststudios.com and by our friends at Serendipity Labs, co-working, private offices, and more. True inspiration at work. Learn more at serendipitylabs.com. Now join Rich Casanova, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta and worldwide across the PBC syndicated networks. All right. Well, uh, you may be worldwide. We're going to hang out here in Buckhead. Yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so as we mentioned, uh, Charles Simpson is joining us in the studio here. We're going to talk about um, a lot of interesting, unique uh, asp- or perspectives on business and uh, where research comes into play about making big decisions and so forth. But before we jump into that, we mentioned um, about you being back in the day. You said way back in the day, an avid runner, right? Um, but uh, in addition to that and fly fishing and so forth, your spare time, uh, you lead several uh, young adult mentorship groups what what is what do you mean by that who's right who's who there so um one of the great things about atlanta is that it's it's one of these places that's it's a large thriving city right and um when you're a large thriving city though there tends to be a transient element to it and um people tend to move here right to do the things they feel like they can do back at home um to succeed to make it big to raise a family and um a lot of times men in their early 20s to late 20s who move here they, they don't have the footing that they did back in the home when they right, were, right. in terms of their purpose, in terms of their faith. So I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a couple of organizations that um, create events for men to come together in community and identify their purpose and kind of reestablish their roots and faith in, in a new city like Atlanta. That's um, awesome. The organization is called Purpose on Tap. Shout out to Purpose on Tap. Absolutely. Uh, is there is there beer drinking involved here? There, there's a little, <laughs> Sweet, bit, sign me little, up. <laughs> little bit of beer drinking involved. The, uh, the next... Um, our next event is actually Wednesday at Monday Night Brewing, and there okay. is a guest speaker. Yeah, um, preceded by about thirty to forty-five minutes of social time, where you have a couple of drinks and make some new friends and just get acquainted with the folks. I like that structure. It's um, it, ha- it has intention, but it doesn't sound too structured, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a very come as you are, authentic kind nice. of thing. Like it. Uh, and you're also currently serving a two-year term on the Dean's uh, MBA Advisory Board for your alma mater, University of Georgia. That's the Terry College of Business. Exactly. That's right. Very, right. very, very pleased with how things have gone there. They um, just recently, I believe it was either, I believe it was either Bloomberg or The Economist ranked the full-time MBA program right at number 30 or somewhere on the Wow. Yeah. 
So they've made just tremendous progress over the past 10 years or Big so. Big time. Shout out to those guys. Uh, we've been to a number of times invited as a media partner um, to attend their uh, third Thursday Terry College. But that's a great event. It is a great event. Yeah. yeah. Some amazing speakers, um, icons, and a uh, great crowd, all that good stuff. So shout out to those guys. Okay, so let's... Um, uh, let's move to the topic at hand, but also uh, we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk some point about your perspective on Atlanta, which I think um, is, you know, not a twist on things, but is a little bit out of uh, out of the norm as far as your your outlook and some of your your observations about the a great city we live in. But let's uh, let's start first with um, well, we should mention as well if you're tuning in and listening right now. Um, uh, as you're listening, you can go to uh, your web your website is just. Um, um, your website actuate uh, growth actuate growth.com yeah okay cool i was trying to read both words in lower <laughs> lowercase it's like it shouldn't be that complicated yeah i'm already in vacation mode i believe yeah all right so uh so we're gonna check that out but first up let's talk about um you know who is actuate you know uh what's your kind of mission you know what do you do who you help all that big picture kind of stuff yeah yeah so i like to describe us as an exploration and evolution consultancy Mostly because uh, that's alliterative and it sounds kind of cool and right, yeah, yeah. sort of way. Right, yeah. uh, anytime you work in innovation or marketing or consulting, you do have to kind of have a little bit of an edge to you, and yeah. you know that's that's the closest thing we can come to it. <laughs> we uh, we use strategy and innovation research techniques to help companies embrace change and catalyze growth. Um, so many times, big strategic decisions, big product decisions, big decisions about evolutions of customer experience and innovation platforms come down to having a very, very deep understanding of not just the marketplace, but also what's going on in your own house. Right. And so many times companies grow to a certain size to where the people making these decisions are so far removed from yeah. realities that are actually happening on the ground. So these are these marketing innovation research techniques that we use are typically applied to go out into the marketplace and study customers, the environment in which your offering is being used. But we also use them to turn a mirror on yourself and investigate what's happening in your customer interaction touch points. And do they jive with the foundational tenets of your culture? Um, yeah. Putting that mirror in perspective, it, um, I, I would call that, it's called a Scooby-Doo moment. And you're like, what, it bro? Is. It <laughs> is. <laughs> we pull the mask off right, the gun. We're doing this? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that paints that picture of, you know, when you launched, you were at uh, a certain level of knowledge and expertise and, a, and a, maybe a smaller, uh, mean, lean, you know, team machine, right? Yeah. But then as you kind of grow, you, those sometimes those principles can get uh, the key leaders or principles get kind of um, – uh, pulled away from the day-to-day what's right. happening, right? Right. I'll tell you, it's one of them. Um, and it's a shame that I can't share quite yet who this is and the organization they're with because NDAs being what they are, okay. take, take some time for <laughs> things to sort out. But um, one of the clients that has impressed me the most is someone who grew up in the industry, grew up in the right. business. He's now in his early to mid-40s. And um, now that he's at the top of this hierarchy right. – He's this very introspective person, and he understands that there are these realities on the ground, and he knows that there's some things that are fundamentally wrong with them, but he understands that he's so far removed from the specifics that people don't necessarily know how to empathize with them and solve them. Yeah. So he brought us in to basically get out in the field and ride around with their employees and yeah. observe firsthand yeah. and flesh out just 
what are the actual specifics of what's going on yeah, here? Yeah, boots on the ground. Exactly. Yeah, and that person is not Rich Casanova, with the pro business journalist. Because <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you openly described him at the top of it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, so you know, who's in your sweet spot as far as um, uh, typical companies, organizations uh, that you work with? You know, how would you kind of uh, define those people in terms of who do you help? Yeah. You know? So, um, the rule of thumb in marketing is that your positioning should it should describe certain type of demographic and indicators like companies between 50 million to 2 billion. Right, right. Like yeah. That. And, um, this sounds like a bit, bit of a dodge, but the <laughs> ones who are bogged down and feel like their business is stale. And I'm, I'm not talking about the ones who, because they feel like they're stuck in a rut, they're running from one big idea to another and senior management are all wearing neck braces from the lip, from the whiplash. Right. <laughs> nice. Um, th- those types of CEOs candidly, they, they tend to be a bit of a disaster. And when, when you, we see evidence of that in the business development process. We, we tell them, go work with a traditional consulting firm because yeah. we're just not set up to help you that way. Um, the ones who do see the impact from our work are the ones who have always been very pr- pragmatic, and they tend to be very methodical decision makers. Right. And when they get really introspective about the state of their business, they realize that they have to grapple with a lot of things that they just don't know. So they come to us when they feel cut off from their customers and employees by their corporate har- hierarchy. Um, they... No, gone ahead. I was going to say that, that's a that's a um, the classical example of uh, having that third party analysis where you're separated from the emotion and from the history of that organization Absolutely. and how they've always done things is not what they need to keep doing necessarily. Absolutely, and one of um one of our core tenets as a company is that um, objectivity is not emotional detachment. Say that again. Objectivity is not emotional detachment. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. When it's your business, when it's your job, when it's your legacy, you tend to be so emotionally yoked to a decision, oh, yeah. and you need someone to not come in and be just you know, aloof about it and right. be very, very clinical in telling you what to do, but understand why you feel the way that you feel and right. give you the inputs that you need to clarify the way that you really need to think about it. And you have to be working with that client, like you mentioned earlier, that's open to that evaluation and you know some of that tough love or whatever, or just be, um, be coachable. Absolutely. Right. Um, and you also kind of struck on, so that, that, um, that scenario is where the individual organization have hit that kind of wall. Right. right? And they can't, uh, I mean, I heard a business coach say years ago, um, is what, you know, what got you from point A will be the exact same thing that's going to hold you to get to point B. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And they're stuck on point A and they know that they need to move forward, but how, you know, and, and you, you know, you simply can't do the same thing that got you there. Absolutely. And it's hard enough to change one person's habits, but right. it's, it's hard enough to change the habits of an entire organization. Yeah. I mean, that's a very, very difficult endeavor there. It can be daunting. I'm glad I'm not doing what you're doing. Yeah. I'll just <laughs> stick to behind the microphone. Yeah. That sounded really complicated now all of a sudden. Yeah. Okay. So l- let's talk about our next point. And that would be, you know, talk to us about, um, you know, the top of the show, we talked about, you know, research applying to marketing initiatives. And, um, you know, obviously that's, you know, that's part and principle what happens, but I don't know that, you know, uh, many organizations look at it from a perspective. A lot of times they're like, okay, we see some trends. We got this widget. We're going to bring something new to the marketplace. Let's figure out how we can package it. And, right. you know, right. I know my industry, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marketing research should be confined to marketing decisions. It should be <laughs> confined to concept tests and ad campaigns right, and yeah. things like that. And, um, and marketing research as a discipline, it, it has evolved and grown, especially with the introduction of data analytics. Yeah. Um, one of 
the things I was just really, really fortunate to encounter that I just completely stumbled into. I, I went to Georgia for business school, but it just so happens to have the top ranked master's in marketing research program in the country. Wow. And I, I grew up in a family of attorneys, um, for better. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Talk to my therapist about it every he's, day. He's scratching his head right now as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sofa over there that I'm going to go lay down on. It'll exactly. be okay. Yeah. I, we have a rest and relax room here down the hall. <laughs> right, where you right. can have some, some me time. Yeah. With therapy dogs. But, and, <laughs> but one of the things I learned growing up from my dad, from uncles, aunts, relatives is that, um, you, you gather evidence to inform some kind of argument or to make some kind of decision. Yeah, yeah. And um, I saw marketing research as a way of gathering evidence, and so I had the opportunity to take a couple of classes in this program, and it just completely broadened my horizons to what needs to happen upstream to influence a decision that I will make one day as like a strategist or a brand manager or you know a CMO CEO right um, downstream. Yeah, it's um, and we talked about. Uh, weaving into this conversation where, um, you know, uh, where the emotion comes into play, but, you know, from your background, very analytical perspective. Yeah. And it, um, some people say, you know, and, and what's more effective emotion or what drives, you know, business or sales emotion or the research analytics. I don't think it's uh, one or the other, there right? You go. Agreed entirely. Right. It, it, it's, um, it's the blend and the balancing of those two. Yes or yes. Uh, no, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There, um, there's a very, very sharp researcher who's at Hallmark. He's the, their head of consumer insights. His name is Alan Bloom. And uh, several years ago, he taught me that um, emotion underpins the way that we have to persuade people. If you're right. bringing an entirely logical, reasonable, rational argument into a room, yeah. it needs to be tinged with at least a degree of emotion to it or yeah. else it's, it's going to feel clinical. It's going to fall yeah. flat. Yeah, two two thoughts come to mind. Was we're working uh, working on a, a new initiative, a project called the Podcast World Tour. Yeah, uh, and we spent you know enormous amount of uh, manpower and resources to put this all together, and we're still in its inception stages. But uh, one consultant we were working with is when they looked at our our video that is uh, it's really an, an awareness campaign for a nonprofit that we're very passionate right. about, and he said that's one of the uh, secrets to success in uh an initiative of this type is and he used the phrase if you can make a mom cry right right, right. and that's just really like all the light bulbs went off literally in a presentation deck that i sent off to um for design to present to a client within a week or so one of the phrases was said um one of the phrases in the deck was um and here there's just enough of a tinge of guilt in the customer to take advantage of and I have to shout out to, that was Tim Visconti. Uh, <laughs> I should give him credit for that for that statement. That's great. Um, okay, so uh, any other things on on that subject matter before we uh, pivot to our next topic? Yeah, yeah. So, so one thing that I, I just think is really important to emphasize: we, um, I love that we live in a world that's driven and that's so data driven now, and I love that um, data science is being brought to the fore. And there are all these wonderful things that are happening with AI, but um, statistics is really, really good for identifying relationships between variables, but it doesn't always tell you the root of what that relationship is. So sometimes you have to go out into the field and, um, and study just what that root is. And I'll, I'll just give you real, one really, really quick example. Um, say a statistical model identifies that when the employees on your factory floor are paid less than $700 over the course of a week, then the probability that a given employee will churn increases to 80%, right? Um, right. It's, it's not enough to say, well, let's just 
pay all of them 700 a week, you know, right. um, because sometimes paying folks more isn't economically viable. Uh, but also that, that kind of thinking also misses the point that, uh, that $700 a week value is a mathematical expression of how much frustration those employees are willing to tolerate. Right, exactly. Yeah, what's their work. threshold? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what, what I do is I go in and observe and walk in their shoes in order to study what can be done to make their jobs better. And why wow. not use that as an opportunity to build better empathy between senior managers and the folks on the ground? Because doing so may solve more than just a retention problem, but major operational ones as well. The kinds that if you solve those, it impacts your business in a way that actually paying everyone higher salaries becomes feasible. All right, of a sudden, yeah. right? I mean, so you're really like just not boots on the ground. You're like a day in the life of that, um, you know, on the front line. I have slept overnight in cabs and tractor trailers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have, I have observed, um, cosmetic surgeons performing, um, liposuctions and tummy tucks. Wow. I did not. That's why you look so that. great. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that reminds me of Gary Vee, Gary Vanacek. I mean, oh, yeah, I love him. You remember his, I remember um, when talking about all in, uh, yeah. and he's serious and legit when he says this, you know, as if you know any about his history, as far as listeners and um, just Google Gary Vee, you'll, you'll find his story. But, yeah. you know, he started the wine library, but uh, as a kid, his, his parents owned a liquor store and he, uh, you know, blew that up and so forth and so on. But, but point being is when he was going to do, uh, content and messaging about wine, um, he literally would go to the vineyards and eat right. dirt from that vineyard. Y- you have to. And that's you're like, is that guy insane or not, right? That's the only way you can do it. Right. I, and I don't <laughs> – I, I used to think of myself as a writer. Yeah. But I've learned that, that writing is it, – it's it's a tool that you use to do your job well. It's, it's a vehicle for articulation. And, and the best writing comes from having a deep understanding of something – but also having a deeper understanding of something means going and writing about it because over time you you figure something out through the course of the articulation. You just don't get an epiphany and then go write about it. Right. It, the clarity comes through trying to articulate what you're trying to say and think deep enough. It's, it's kind of a gut check to make sure you have a deep enough understanding to actually say something significant about it. Right. Yeah, it, it um, reminds me of – so you're kind of like – uh, who's that guy that does uh, America's dirtiest jobs? Uh, Mike. Oh, Mike Rowe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're kind of you're yeah. kind of the Mike Rowe for uh, research, right? He's a lot cooler than I am. <laughs> All whistle, right, but he's not here in the studio. Yeah, looks, so uh, looks a lot better on TV, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so uh, before we move to our next segment, we're going to be talking about um, you know the strategy innovation piece of this, right? Right. But uh, some observations as you were talking, uh, in essence. You know, we're living in a, in a new age as, you know, decades and uh, generations, you know, keep moving the needle forward. Uh, prior to, you know, all of this analytical data that we have, and now we can really make educated and precise decisions. Absolutely. In the past, you know, you kind of called in, you know, the resident guru, and right. you just kind of like, you know, he right. was his best guesstimation, and he was this, you know, uh, what do they say, um, Sinvali, uh, I can't uh, think of Sven, Svengali. Svengali. Yeah. <laughs> something like that. Svengali. Yeah, <laughs> I'll stick with Guru. You do <laughs> the other, but um, but it was this, just you know, this not witch doctor, but it was like you didn't have any basis other than just the gut feeling and his expertise or her expertise in that just, space. Just someone who gave you permission to do something that you already know you needed to do. Yeah, and just, just validate it. Yeah, and that's that's why I, that's why I, I, our approach to all this isn't. 
let's come in and tell you what to do. Right. It's, you know what to do. You know your industry very well. You're smart or else you wouldn't be here. Let us give you the inputs that you need and help you navigate the decision and just basically coach you along the way. Because once you've gone through that process and you made that decision and you're moving in a particular direction, you're going to encounter uncertainty and you're going to encounter flack. And you have to have the courage and the resilience not to change midstream. Right. Um, well said. And speaking of well said, I pulled um, a statement off your website that really, I think, uh, is genius and encapsulate what we're talking about. Well, thank you. And, um, and I just want to remind our listeners, you're listening to the Georgia podcast here on the Pro Business Channel Networks. We're having a great conversation with uh, Charles Simpson. He's uh, the leader the guru <laughs> or the Svengali of uh, actuate, right? <laughs> the guy, the dude, yeah. <laughs> or they're just like he's man of uh, Atlanta in this right. space, right? But your statement, I think, is 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 um, brilliant, worth restating. And the premise is uh, actuate was created for one simple reason, to help businesses uh, grow by putting their culture and their people into action. Absolutely. I mean, say that again in your own words. What is, what's your, how did you come up with that concise premise there through an awful lot of writing (laughs) awful lot of writing and and about five years of just observing the way that clients make decisions about things and and the way that they um the way that they lead the um the one thing that i've noticed about small businesses have grown rapidly and and even small businesses i've worked in is that for better or worse they take on the personalities of the people who found them um, yeah who, who started them i uh the marketing firm that I worked at in Birmingham, Alabama, is some of the sharpest, brightest, most good-humored people you'll ever meet, founded by someone who's just had like an indelible mark on in my life. And this company took on all of his values and his habits, and people treat each other the way that he treated them. Uh, well, he, he and his business partner both. Um, companies of 10 employees can turn into companies of 100, 200, 500, and even larger. Right. And to one extent or another, those cultural values remain intact. But as they grow, they tend to become more diffuse. People leave. Um, people leave. Priorities change. And all of a sudden, a business that's at 500 employees that was just firing on all cylinders, right, yeah. had these values, yeah. did things really well, um, lived for the customer. It's now become a little little stale, a little yeah. stagnant, becomes a little Amazonish. Like, exactly. <laughs> like Survivor, right? Everyone for himself. And yeah. it's... That statement is acknowledgement that you still have these things intact that make you remarkable. You just have to remind the people in your office and out in the field and on the ground why they matter and help them apply to their jobs. Yeah, that's a big challenge undertaking. Um, speaking of big challenge, we're uh, only about seven minutes left. We got we we may have oh, to man. bring you back or have your own podcast in the studio because ah. we got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, so what do you want to focus on in our remaining minutes here? We, um, we teed up, um, this concept of this decision making process for, um, strategy, innovation and, uh, product offerings. Sure. Um, let's talk about that. And then we may have to jump forward to, I like this premise of the cultural, um, trends. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what, how about I'll tell one story just to give someone a a practical sense of, so um, a few years ago, I worked with a fast casual brand that was growing from 20 stores to 100 or so over the course of two to three years. Wow. And uh, yeah, very, very rapid growth. And and they, and these were very um, thoughtful, introspective people who knew that that kind of thing, you know, speed can kill you there if you grow too quickly. So they brought us in. One of the things I was brought in to do for them was to study how guests interact with 
the store or the or the restaurant space. Right. So in addition to doing in-person behavioral observations of the employees, the guests, and all the interactions, I set up a GoPro camera and ran <laughs> time-lapse video of the entire space. Nice. Um, which is a little stalkerish, but hey, why not? Um, blurred all the faces. And just to give you a sense of what you can learn from that, um, just on the ground, when you walk into one of their stores – there is a partition that shows you here's the queue that you go into to place an order. And when you're waiting in line, you're facing an open kitchen where all the food is being prepared and right. cooked. And the food there is so amazing. Yeah. It's, um, it's Tzatziki's Mediterranean Grill. Okay. It's a wonderful place. Yeah. Um, on, the, on the ground, I hated that partition between the queue and the dining area because it felt isolating. You, know, you, you walk into the store, and it's supposed to be in this inviting, hospitable place, right. and the first thing you see is a wall, right? Yeah. But what the time-lapse video revealed is that the wall was the only thing forcing guests who were waiting in line to face the open kitchen concept behind the counter because right. we stand with our backs to a wall, and that partition was prompting us to face away from the wall and towards the counter and engage with the food and with the people yeah, wearing yeah, yeah. it. Right. Um, so when deciding what to do with that partition, you have to ask yourself, what do you value more? Do you value guest interactions with the food and the people preparing it? Or do you value an open floor plan more? Huh. I'm, I'm not a restaurant consultant. Right, yeah. It's not my job to go and say, rip it out right. or leave it in. It's, it's my job to just present you the unadorned truth and say, hey, you know, if you keep this in place, um, people are less inclined to just sit there on their phones. They're actually going to look at the people behind the counter preparing the food. Um, if you remove it, it may feel like more of an open space. It's entirely up to y'all. Y'all talk right. about it. Let's make that determination. But there they can see in real time um, the natural flow exactly. and the inclination of their clients, right? I mean, Precisely. it reminds me of a, a similar study that was done on a university campus when they uh, the architects, engineers will just lay out the sidewalk structure. Oh, that's a great example. Right? I love this one. Talk to me about that. Yeah, the, um, this this happens at UGA like all the time right? and Emory too, The um, really anywhere. I. The forest, the forest Service, the um, U.S. Department of Interior has a formal name for it. It's something path. It's right. uh, like casual path or something. Okay. But um, you know, you lay out all these concrete sidewalks, and you think this is the most right, right. From point, yeah. from point A to B. Yeah. But then you see all these uh, dirt, yeah, um, uh, dirt Pathways. worn trails right, yeah. through the through the grass yeah. because people just take the path they want. That's yeah. the most direct and rational to them. Yeah, yeah. And that's the ra- that's the rational part, right? Exactly. Sometimes it may not be the most direct. But it's just, it's more human uh, flow. Exactly. So um, uh, as a result of that, so now a lot of organizations, they'll lay out like a temporary path and then determine if uh, if that's the logical or the most uh, adapted. Right. And then put in the, the, the hard structure, yeah. Right. If, and, if, and, if you care enough to study it, you're ahead of most everyone else in the market. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't take a lot to make a big difference, but it's but it has to be intentional. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, uh, we just got a, a few minutes left here. Uh, what do we want to um, focus on? I like this premise of um, the cultural, what, you know, what's the one uh, cultural trend or innovation um, that's, you know, keeps you awake at night, I guess, yeah. Yeah, the, the one that kind of concerns me the most that I, I, I am just one man, so I'm powerless <laughs> to stop it, right? Um, but it, but if, I, if there was some way for me to get people to slow down and really think about this, I, I would. I, I worry that as business leaders and Heck, as a culture in general, I, I do feel I do fear that we're way too way too distracted. Hundred um, percent. There, there's just too much noise. We move so quickly, and if you aren't being vigilant towards the details, well, like I said, speed kills. There, there's a reason you don't follow too closely on the interstate when you're speeding, right? Unless like <laughs> you live in Atlanta, you know. Um, 
but I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in rooms with clients and watched folks from just big consulting firms crank out deck after deck of just brilliant revelations. And then a few days later, the consultants and the client have completely forgotten what was learned yeah. a few days ago because those analyses don't apply. They don't take those analyses and apply them to the next level of thinking and planning because we're moving so fast. We don't take the time to understand or, internal or they've right gone things. backwards into their comfort zone exactly. or they've gone on, on to the next shiny object. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Um, and part of that is the pace of business, but most of it, I, it's, it's life in a digital world. And I, for example, I, I have an old college That's friend. a great title for a book, Life in a Digital World. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. still in the analog world. That's <laughs> just me. <laughs> I just got an Apple Watch maybe six months ago. Wow. Yeah. You're so behind. Fi- yeah. Fi- finally catching up. Um, I have an old college friend who's really, I mean, he's, he's more of an acquaintance, but he and I were econ majors together in college, and now he's at Stanford. And he's actually encouraging people to be more cognizant of how corrosive those distractions, distractions can be in a digital world. Yeah, kind of dial it back. Right. Um. His name is Nir Ayal, and he just wrote a book called Indistractable, and it's brilliant. And like One story he tells, for example, is, have you ever noticed when you go to YouTube to look for a video, and some related video over in the corner of the page right. catches your eye, and you click on it, and instead yeah. now you've gone down this rabbit trail of content oh, consumption, dude, yeah. and you forgot why you're even on there to begin with. 100%. Yeah, and... You know, now the recipe for, you know, brace short ribs or whatever you're going right, to right. you don't even remember why you're there, right? Well, um, well that's why, like, uh, with w- sometimes what we prefer is, um, uh, Vim- is it Vimeo? Yeah. 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 Because it's more white labeled yes. and you're keeping uh, the attention of that prospect on, on the content you intended, right? I can guarantee you somewhere right now, some marketer or some consultant or some strategist is telling them you need to build more engagement. Yeah, you need you need to make your platform stickier. And 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 when that, it, it, but but on the, the engagement. So your intention is to do that with a YouTube uh, a channel or whatever, right? But you're right. As soon as you put, you know, the two uh, uh, yin and yangs of YouTube is that it's behemoth. I mean, it's exactly. owned by Google. I mean, you kind of need to be on there, right? But on the on the uh, and there's but there's billions of content loaded every day. But the point is, is that so? Here's your widget. And then right next to it is your competitor widgets, right? Right, or inappropriate content. So right. all of a sudden, your brand unconsciously becomes associated with this inappropriate, you know, content, right. and uh, for better or for worse, right? right. And then, then, then the third, um, you know, uh, strike in the coffin is now you send them there. Now all of a sudden, they're twelve videos in, and even <laughs> forgot what your call to action was. Right? Yeah, and and people call that engagement. Yeah, and that and that's fine. <laughs> right, exactly, that, that, not the kind of engagement you intended, right? Yeah. So it's incumbent on us as consumers of content and as, marketers and, as, and marketers, thinkers, business leaders, we, we have to cultivate the discipline to be able to cut out those distractions and pull back and just sit and think and just engage with people and study the things that you don't think you have time to study, dig deeper into your company and your employees and your customers and, and just, and just be curious. It, it's, it's never been easy to do those things. I could not do my job 10 years ago one, because I wouldn't have known how to, but, right. but two, because the tools and technologies that allow this kind of DIY approach, they, they weren't as powerful back then. Well, that, that's the struggle, I guess, uh, you know, somewhat encapsulates the conversation is this yin and yang, this challenge of all of these new toys that we have, right. which are amazing and can really fast track, uh, you know, our businesses and our lives. And, um, but then at the same time, uh, you know, with the intent to connect makes us more disconnected, 
right? Precisely. And and there seems to be this this common thread that people are coming to terms with this, and and then you got to make a decision, you know, how you're going to. Um, uh, what path you're going to choose. Speaking of paths, uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes on this subject, and you may want to write this one down, yeah. uh, Charles, as well as our listeners. So check this out. the 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 quote or the the statement is, um, "Simplify life to elevate purpose." I love that. Right? Is that that's just amazing? That's um, always when I heard that six months. Simplify life to elevate purpose. I love that. So if we get rid of all these. Um, distractions, we can do amazing things because a lot of times we're held back by all of these things tugging at us and pulling us that we've chose to put in our sandbox, right? Right. You know, you clear those out. And, and, um, so, and I had another thought along that line I was going to write down. Um, Oh, uh, you know, one, one, two other quick thoughts, and we're going we're gonna to close with uh, talking about books to read and about Atlanta real quick. But two of the thoughts were uh, along the line of, I, mean, I had a, um, a personal assistant a while back, not a virtual, she's a real person at a rate. Oh, wow. <laughs> Helping me with projects at a rate. <laughs> and uh, not AI at a yeah, rate. Yeah. Um, Leanne. And so um, uh, she was working on some uh, tasks that we had on, on, the, on, the, on the docket. Anyway, so she was uh, going a, a vacation up the mountains and she calls me in a panic of like, hey, there's no Wi-Fi here. I can't work on your, <laughs> front of your emails. I'm like, Leanne, you're on vacation. That's a beautiful thing. That's okay. Right? Enjoy that. Be off the grid. Right. You know? I mean, uh, and then my other, this is an original Rich Casanova quote, quote that I yeah. used to say years ago and now it's even, even more apropos today. So it's going to sound like this oxymoron, but I think it really re- resonates with entrepreneurs. So the statement is low tech is the wave of the future. <laughs> yes or yes? I, I, right? Low you know, tech is the wave of the future. I, I can see that. And, that, and that's, such a, that's such a contrarian view, yeah. right? Um, it's one thing that I'm seeing in my work that is, and, and we work across industries and markets, yeah. is that there, for every digital interaction, for every chat bot, yeah. every, <laughs> right. everything that gets automated, right? Enough already. It, there's, there's this longing for human connection of some kind with someone. 100%. Right? Well, speaking of technology, we could have easily done this on a Skype podcast, right? Sure. But what fun would that have been? Yeah, right? yeah, none, zero. But we're here in person, in real time, you know, um, uh, across the table from each other. It's a hundred percent different dynamic, and but I think that at the end of the day, um, uh, you know, w- where it fits, right, and w- where it's appropriate. So not to ignore all all the cool stuff we have going on. Okay, so we're kind of officially over time, but I I, I love these two other points about. Um, you know, who influenced you? You know, talk to us about, you know, your teachers, your influencers, your mentors, and, and um, you know, some of the books you've read and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I could spend at least another 10 minutes on this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I won't, but um, Sean Doyle, who, uh, who started Fitzmartin in Birmingham, um, he is one of the greatest minds in B2B marketing in the country. He um, He's taught me everything that I could ever possibly know about marketing and sales alignment and okay. just about about how people make decisions about what a behavioral change looks yeah. like. Um, David Baker, who is a consultant who works with marketing firms, he talks a lot about how you really develop expertise over time, um, how positioning really works, how um, how the world is just awash in content. Everyone has an opinion about something, but um, not everyone has a really, really – the type of deep understanding that actually 
gives you the confidence to right. take a contrarian view on something, right? Now, the others would just have to do a name shout-out because yeah, we're out of uh, time here, yeah. Uh, Charlotte Mason, who is uh, just one of the matriarchs of marketing analytics, the chair of the marketing department at the University of Georgia, and then Mike Courtney, who, um, who owns Aperio Insights in Dallas, who's taught me just an awful lot about innovation research. Nice. So. And don't leave uh, oh, Jenny, Jenny off the list, yeah. Jenny Ward-Robinson. <laughs> she, uh, she was my boss at the American Academy of Cosmetic Surgery, and she is – the brightest boss I've ever had in my life. And she's someone who is just this capture the room thinker who could just bring a bunch of people in the room who just hate each other and bring them into consensus around something, consensus around wow. something brilliant and then just waltz out and <laughs> right. on, on a day's work. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like who was that? Who <laughs> yeah. was that superhero that just <laughs> exactly. dropped in here? Right. Exactly. Um, so we may need to bring these people in the studio with you next time. So, uh, so uh, books. So uh, some of the books uh, you have listed is um, Predictably Irrational. Yeah, Dan, Dan Ariely's Dan Predictably Irrational. Changing for Good? Changing for Good. What's the takeaway there? So the takeaway from there was it's based on a study by um, a bunch of psychotherapists from the 70s who um, <laughs> who broke down, yeah, pretty random. But this is actually the um, the secret sauce behind what um, Sean, Sean Doyle at Fitzmartin, right. and, and to a degree what I do as well. Okay. Um, it they studied several smoking cessation studies, like thousands of them, and combined them into what are the common traits of the ones that were successful and were able to distill every behavioral change down into a six-step process. So you could literally map a buying experience. You can validate an innovation concept by how people respond to it in a sense that gives you a sense of um, when you show someone this concept, what stage in the behavioral change process does it take them to? Uh, very definitive, and again, you're taking the uh, guesswork out of it. This is from a, a exactly. scientific perspective. Yeah, exactly. exactly. All right, so um, we're going to wrap things up with a perspective, Charles's perspective on Atlanta, which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and just again, reminding our listeners, you're listening to the Georgia Podcast here on the Pro Business Channel with your host Rich Casanova, having a great conversation with uh, the one, the only uh, Charles Simpson, like you're on stage now, fortunately right? for all of us. <laughs> yeah, um, and you can check out more and learn more about. Uh, this conversation and uh, their perspective on strategy and innovation and this this process of big decisions uh, that's at accentuate growth a- actuate growth actuate growth yeah I, I'm, I was surprised you get accentuategrowth.com <laughs> yeah, yeah. so actuategrowth.com uh, check that all out so um, and you have some white papers on there coming out mm-hmm. as well right exactly. so you're always kind of it seems like you're on the cutting edge or are of of you know what's not just trending but what's you know solid and based on you know, research, but also uh, keeping up with, you know, the current, um, uh, you know, thought leaders and, and uh, what's happening, right? Right. Okay, so let's pivot, um, completely different conversation, but this premise, your take on your website, um, uh, which you posted about is, you know, some of the, uh, talk to us about some of these cities with a great identity. You know, uh, we hear make it New York, make it anywhere, yep. right? Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, Carl Sandberg's, um Take on Chicago, the hog butcher for the world. Yeah, a, a beautiful, very, very blunt poem. <laughs> and then Paris, which you're going to be visiting uh, here shortly, yeah, right? Yeah. What Every, was everyone takes a vacation, right? Um, Ernest Hemingway's Immovable Feast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then um, I like where you uh, then pivoting to Atlanta, and you know we we have this knee jerk of like uh, this claim to fame was world's busiest airport. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But your thought on that, that's just, you know, uh, we're more than just a fact or a statistic, right? Yeah, one of the things I've noticed over time, and I and this is someone who, I, I went to college in Atlanta about 20 years ago, and um, 
left for about 13 or 14 years and just came back. And one of the things that really changed, at least to me, is that Atlanta always felt like a transient place. Yeah. You know, just with the airport and everything, right. it felt like a place where you have a layover. Sometimes. Right, yeah. It can be, uh, you know, I, I moved from New York to work here for three years. Yeah, on a project, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, none of us are from here. But but lately, over the past five years or so, it, it has this identity and this just new kind of energy to it to where it feels like a place that people actually – come to and stay right um it's it's just such a remarkable community with and it's it's got this it's got all this momentum that kind of feels like it's the mid 90s but without you know the olympics as an expiration date sort of thing (laughs) exactly right you know (laughs) we're not just an olympic town or that's just a um world's busiest airport but we do have a lot of you know great stats that really help uh, kind of create our identity uh those we mentioned as well as uh we were mentioning on an earlier show that um, I think we're third on the list for the most Inc. 5,000 companies. Yeah, that's amazing. And then what, fourth on the list for... Um, for Fortune 500. Fortune 500, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that all comes into the kind of the tapestry of, of Atlanta, right? But beyond, you know, from that business perspective... Um, I mean, you mentioned about um, uh, the film industry and Yollywood, but actually we, we've actually pivoted, moved on from that because we've talked to a lot of... Um, <coughs> Uh, leaders and innovators and creatives in the film, television, production space in Atlanta. And now we've surpassed officially from most every statistic, uh, putting us not number two or three, but the first. Right. Right. And so they've moved away from the uh, fill in the blank in, you know, Wood, Hollywood, right. Atlanta Wood, or whatever, right? right? Um, we, we're, we are owning this space. We need our own sign on Stone Mountain. Is what we need. <laughs> There you go. Nice. <laughs> I, I just visualized that in a, in a snapshot. Um, and so, you know, this character identity, I mean, you, you use some uh, great um, adjectives here of uh, this welcoming playfulness, purposeful, and industriousness. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed writing the copy for our website. Um, yeah. One of the one of the th- turns of phrase that occurred to me is that we'll, we'll make room for anyone and we have the traffic to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be on a billboard or bumper sticker. That needs to be on a bumper sticker while you're uh, in traffic. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I think you you speak well of the city and have a uh, interesting. I mean, you could be our uh, city ambassador, right? To uh, all those other folks around the country that don't know this about our city, our yeah. great city. Yeah. yeah, and I oftentimes am. It's um, it's just been such a remarkable place to sell down and start a business and make friends and hopefully raise a family one day. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's just such a blessing to be in, this, in Atlanta at the time that we are right now. So where can you go? Fly, you know, one of your, your hobbies is fly fishing. So where's your fly fishing? Uh, do we have any of that in Atlanta or you got to go up, up, have to go up upstream? A now, now you do. Now you do have some in Atlanta. Um, the Chattahoochee around the power plant. Okay. Actually, um, which, you know, surprised <laughs> I'm sure, could, sure about, could have surprised know, me. Yeah. Um, or by, or maybe not by the power plant, but by the, uh, one of the water treatment facilities. Um, but further up the river, well, actually, cause you have so like, they, um, so uh, the Ocoee and the Chattooga yeah. are both pretty great ones for me. Well, the Tacoa river in Georgia. No doubt. Least. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I'm actually heading up to the Chattooga tomorrow just to, um, just to basically clear my head for a day and head into Thanksgiving. Then off to, then off to Paris, Paris after that, yeah. Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Nice. All right, Charles, well, it was our pleasure having you in the studio. Um, uh, kudos on what you've created. Thank you. I enjoyed this. 100%. Uh, right back at you. 
and uh, also uh, much success uh, with your future endeavors and where the um, uh, Atlanta's busy ceremony may take you. <laughs> Absolutely, which is anywhere, quite possibly anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Once again, Rich Casanova on behalf of the whole team behind the uh, Pro Business Channel. Uh, this wraps up this episode of the Georgia Podcast. Uh, stay tuned for upcoming episodes. On behalf of the Pro Business Channel, we thank you for listening to the Georgia Podcast, featuring the who's who and what's new in Georgia. Made possible in part by Global Podcast Studios, offering podcast studio rentals, production and distribution. Visit globalpodcaststudios.com. And by our friends at Serendipity Labs, co-working, private offices, and more. True inspiration at work. Learn more at serendipitylabs.com. Join Rich Casanova for the next Georgia podcast and download on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more.